0: Okay, I think, yeah, we are live. So today is a special one, you guys, on lifestyle medicine. My dear amigo, Kai Van Bodie, who, man, we've had a good run, man, over the years, to say the least. We've, uh, God, we've been through acupuncture school together, lived together, which was awesome and rough sometimes, (laughs) 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 but overall, a hell of an experience. So Kai, um, you do a lot of things, and people, you've got a pretty good following, and people I think know what you do to a degree, but there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this who don't know who you are, what you're doing. So can you kind of give us a backdrop on, yeah, like your background, Chinese medicine, and then where you've gone in recent years, because that's a pretty new development and a pretty cool shift.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to. Uh, So, you know, I started out as a very, uh, I'd say non-holistic person. And, uh, you know, I grew up in New Jersey and I was in a fraternity in college and, um, I was your typical American, you know, living on beer and buffalo wings, and, uh, which I still have occasionally. As you should, um, right? As you should, yeah. <laughs> um, and what, what really got me on my path was that my mother was suffering from a lot of different ailments and um, I loved her dearly and I, I wasn't able to convince her to shift her lifestyle into something that would have extended her life and her sanity and her sovereignty. And that was it. that was very influential. And then, right in the middle of her deterioration, my brother was diagnosed with uh, ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. Yeah. And at the same time, my my co mm-hmm. I was teaching at-risk youth at the time. I had a background in psychology, and I was working with troubled kids as a school teacher. My co-teacher got cancer, and I found myself drawn so deeply to holistic medicine only because I saw all these cases of people that I cared about that had no real hope from Western medicine. Yeah. And that, you know, that led me to uh, finish college, work for a couple years, and move to China um because you know essentially i had seen too many kung fu movies <laughs>
0: <laughs> steven Seagal, mark for death <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly yep and not to forget the perfect, weapon, oh, you know, the which perfect I've, weapon i've turned into about half of the perfect weapon at this point. <laughs> jeff we'll speakman tell you more about that later if you want to know it's not a compliment <laughs> to me um, anyway oh, gray man. has a certain oracle ability to determine whether or not uh, an 80s and 90s Kung Fu star is currently super fat or still fit. He can do it like that without oh, seeing any pictures. It's well, true. Knows. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, so I moved to China very naively and I ended up staying for for seven years. And that was where I really started to wake up and grow up. Like I had my first cell phone. I learned to navigate a city on a bicycle with just a Chinese dictionary and a map. And um, can I ask that a, quick, was a, a quick
0: question on that? On, yeah, on yeah. Your, when you went to China, Kai, w- when you say you you know you just up and left for China, was that, I guess, where you were in your life? Was that a directive that like retreat because you didn't know what to do? Or was that I'm going there to learn Chinese medicine and you know pick up things from the Asian culture? Like where, where were you?
1: Yeah, I was, I was, I was, I actually kind of like the hero's journey. I had a woman that I loved. Um, I had a job at a school. They were offering to put me through um, uh, to get my master's degree in psychology to, oh, okay. to be a counselor a um, scholarship in Virginia. Um, and my, my girlfriend wanted to marry me. So I had everything laid out in front of me and I was spending all of my extra money on Qigong class, yoga class, hypnosis. I, d- right. I lived in a little conservative town in Virginia. Right. And I was taking, I had this insatiable thirst for the experience of human potential. And it just, that out of all of it, I remember when it happened, like literally I watched a documentary on Qigong and I literally was barely able to pay my rent. And they were like, Qigong is practiced every morning in the parks all across mm. China for no yeah. charge. And I was what I was like, dude, What am I doing? Like I knew I wanted to go all the way down the rabbit hole. Right. Yeah. I didn't know I wanted to become an acupuncturist or herbalist. I didn't know that. I just knew I wanted to go find a spiritual teacher, live with them, train with them. That's all I knew. Fair enough. Yeah. So I made the choice to go. It felt like even though I was giving up and gambling, it felt like I'd rather know the answer than settle for what I've got here. I can relate. But it was was painful. It was painful for sure.
0: Was the pain, you're talking about when you went to China, do you mean like the cultural integration or do you mean the process of
1: learning this stuff and what it it really requires of you? I think, um, like I remember, we were at a, 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 there's two parts, the answer is both. So the first part was, I was part of, I was hanging out on this intentional community that had all those eco-friendly houses and they had sweat lodges and, you know, the guy that was the patriarch and his wife were like really wisdom keepers like you know in you know Caucasian people studied with indigenous people were living off the grid in a different way but I just found so much sanity in their lifestyle yeah and I literally went there for a retreat and there was a spiritual teacher that they had living there as a guest he literally told me that woman's your soulmate and you're supposed to marry her Mm -hmm. and I went out to my car I put I closed I had a Ford Explorer I got in my car I put on some music I started crying and I like checked in with myself and I, I, I just had this truth, like even if that guy's right and even if I'm making the biggest mistake in my life, my truth is I would rather go to China and find out than not. Yeah. So that was the first pain. It wasn't like all signs point to go into China. Right. You know, it was just internally. The second thing was, and we can dig into this more. When I got to China, I was celibate and vegetarian and I didn't drink alcohol and I was sick for a fucking year. Yeah. I'm not sure if we're allowed to curse on the podcast. Oh, you can
0: definitely <laughs> curse on the podcast.
1: Okay. okay. So I was, dude, I was sick, man. It was like upper respiratory infection. And then when that would clear, I would get either diarrhea or constipation. And it just kept it, the metal element just back and forth, back and yeah. forth. And I did IV antibiotics. I did Chinese medicine. I did acupuncture. I did everything. Nothing got me better. And then, And I'll just share this piece until yeah. one day. I'm in cloud, I'm in this little communist city called Zunyi in the middle of fucking nowhere cuz I picked it cuz there was no Walmart, no McDonald's. There was no western infiltration. Yeah. And um I'm sitting there with my Chinese medicine teacher who I who I've hired as a tutor. And I he said man man's destiny and potential and health will always be tied to nature. And so there are certain places where um, you can't separate the environment and the constitution from health. And I said, and I was very hungry for truth. And I was like, so I'm so sick here. Is there a place in China that would suit my constitution? And he said, oh yeah, this is the worst place for you to live in China. It's damp, there's coal pollution, it's uh, it's cold. He's like, you need to be in a warm, dry, windy place. I was like, where's that? And why didn't you tell me sooner? Yeah.
0: <laughs> why are you holding out, bro? <laughs> he,
1: said, he said, you should go to Yunnan province to Kunming. And I uh-huh. literally went to my teacher. I said, look, I've been sick for, for like almost a year. I'm out of here. Yeah. And I I left the safety of the school to go to another province. And I was never sick again in China, seriously. And I also started drinking and dating. Yeah. So, so it was also like I was limiting my experience. I was, I was going against my innate constitution, I believe.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and this points to, there's, we could, uh, obviously, between you and I, Kai, we could just jump in 50 different directions right now. But I want to jump just on this, what you just talked about, because it's a really important thread, I think, to the way you approach Chinese medicine, the way I approach it, too, in some ways, is this idea that if you're too clean... If the, if, if the edges are too finely contained, right, if we color just perfectly inside the lines, for a lot of us, that control, that that tension of trying to do it, quote unquote, the right way or the spiritual way, there's usually some kind of stagnation that comes from it. There's a life current, at least mine. We talked about this when I just talked about you recently on the podcast with another guest. And I was telling the story about how when you and I lived together, one of the first questions that I posed to you, I said, Kai, do you do you drink? Do you drink beer, or do you do you do you engage in any kind of like thing like that? Because I wasn't sure if you were like the super, uber yeah. Taoist, you know, uh, celibate guy, and you're like, I've been through that, and I would prefer to have a little bit of alcohol. I would prefer to have a little bit of of these things in my life because I feel better when when done in moderation, and I think that's a. What do you think about that? Because people, there's a there's a backlash sometimes. People think, oh, if you're gonna you know, drink alcohol, or if you're going to do these things on the sidelines a little bit. Like, what, what's your take on that? Because it's never worked for me. When I try to do that, I don't feel particularly good or on
1: point. Well, yeah, I mean, the first thing I'll say is like, there's a path for everyone. And yeah. I think some people, like, just like I've seen raw foodists, like my friend Peg and George, who lives in LA, who's just super fucking healthy, looks 10 years younger than he is, or maybe even 15. And he thrives on raw food. Yep. And I've seen people that are Per, their, their diet is perfect, and they're raw food, and they're sickly, Yeah, super sickly, blood deficient, all that. Yep. So there's first of all, there's no one answer. Secondly, what attracted me to the Taoist path is that most Taoists do drink.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Most da- And when they drink, they don't eat rice because they only want to have a certain amount of grain. Right. Most Taoists that drink also get up the next day and still train Tai Chi at the same time in the morning. That's their commitment. Right. And if there is, if they're not transmuting the amount of libations, then it shows up in their practice the next day, and there's an automatic course correction. Right. So, 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 and I love that. You know, Taoists have sex, they cook, they do calligraphy, yep, and they put their spirit into it fully. And I love that about them. Me too. And I guess ultimately it's a choice. I mean, I'll be really honest. Like, I think if I think if I had to wave a wand I'd rather never drink and never eat any kind of junk food and be ex- as happy and joyful and jubilant as I am now. Yeah. But I'll be honest, I don't know how to do that cuz honestly I love East Coast pizza. Yeah. <laughs> and I love buffalo wings and I want to yeah. be able to I want to be able to walk into a town and find the coolest little hole yeah. in the wall and eat there and enjoy it and not pay for it the next day. Absolutely. And and for the most part I can do that because yeah. I train because I do fast, because I do take yep. digestive enzymes and probiotics, because I do clean my colon out yep. on a regular basis. I yep. can do all that, and I think, I, I think I'm, think uh, i you know, so that's what, yeah, that's my answer. It's a
0: good answer. I, My sentiments are very similar, and I remember years back when I did vegan for, my early 20s, I did veganism for two years, and I remember I was getting to that point, some people when they do veganism, they start to get to that militant place. They start to get to that militant place of, This is the only way, this is the dogmatic way, you know, this is, and I was starting to hang out with that group of people, and my mom just stopped me one day, and she's like, Gray, what if you travel to Italy, and you meet a 90-year-old man, and he's serving lamb and red wine, because it's the local thing, and that they just slaughtered that morning, are you going to shut down these experiences because of, you know, a food ethic? And it got me thinking, it was a great simple question, and I remember thinking, no, I'm probably going to eat the lamb, I'm probably going to jump in on board, but live life. Yeah. Not, not hold it too tight, which I think is really good. Yeah. And it seems like people that are in the health field, at least the clients I work with and the people that I talk to, they like it that there's a, a little bit of what you would call normalcy. You can still live life and still do some of these things. But it's, uh, like you said, if you know how to tip the scales the other way, if you know how to balance life and nourish life appropriately, then when you do these things, there's not going to be this demonstrable hit where you're completely wiped out, which I think is kind of... Is, it's a good idea for a lot of people because i don 't think people are hip to it they don't think that you can tip the scale one way you know to counteract yeah so with um with with this you know type of thinking Kai and like what you 're doing now Chinese medicine, how are you applying this because I know you've moved into like i said new territory what 's this look like for you in real time now as you 're working with people
1: <clears throat> well i just I got connected to a group of conscious entrepreneurs and I really came in through the one of the leaders of them who's like a, a really you know him, but you know he's I'm a, I don't want to say any names but he's like a really young spiritually open-minded but really good at business and yep. in my opinion has a really solid channel to spirit and he asked me at one point to come to an event for all these entrepreneurs and to help them understand how to have sustainable peak performance yeah then that was the beginning for me. That's when yeah. I started to really think about how, how do I bring Chinese medicine principles into peak performance so people can utilize them. Right. And, you know, that's the, that's the origin of my tonic. So I think this is a good place yeah. to start from. I realized yeah. all they want is more energy, more clarity, more focus, more energy, more clarity, more focus. Get more shit done. Get more shit done. I realized that. And I was I like – as I looked around at biohacking – and if we need to define that, we can, but just ways of getting more out of the human body and the human mind, I saw that it was rife with unsustainable practices. They were draining the kidneys. They were lighting up the the, the spirit and the consciousness without replenishing. Right. So I found a formula that's designed to strengthen the kidneys and thereby the willpower, and another formula that is designed to protect and anchor the heart and stabilize emotions, and then another one that, you know, takes the mind and keeps it open and clear, but roots it down into the, into the water of the kidneys. And that was Pearl Shen, Will Strengthener, and Dao in a bottle. Mm-hmm. And I just, I brought them together. I made tonics. People were lit up on these tonics, man. Yeah. They were like, like near psychedelic. Yeah. And it was an accident. It was, yeah. an, I just literally was like, I want to give them what they actually need rather than what they want. I didn't go with Supreme Shen drops or right. super Yang Jing, like, cause they're already burning too much. Yeah. so. When I saw how that tonic worked for them, and I noticed that a lot of them were trapped between caffeine and cannabis, Mm -hmm. one as an upper, one as a downer. Other people it's caffeine and alcohol. For sure. I would just recognize that Chinese medicine has a lot to offer in terms of the balance of being able to have your energy clarity and focus and put reserves back in your bank account. Yeah, that's a big one. yeah. And I think like just knowing that you get to have both, I think that's, that is the nature of my whole system is that yeah. you get to have performance now and longevity later. And it just takes a little investment of time, learning money and and support. Right. Absolutely. There's an
0: educational piece in there about Definitely. Yeah, how to navigate this stuff, because I think a lot of people don't, especially in American culture. They're these ideas. And to backtrack a little bit to the people listening, what Kai was talking about. So the Dow in a bottle, um, what did you say? What were the other two? Uh,
1: it's called Will Strengthener now. Uh-huh. And then the other one is called Pearl Shen.
0: Pearl Shen. So these are formulas. These are herbal decoctions that you can get through Ron Teagarden, who's a master tonic herbalist. He's just in a, probably the best tonic herbalist, I think, probably in the world. He's just got quality that's amazing, amazing product. So these things that Kai is talking about are these these formulas that people take that address different aspects and different or, different organs, different uh, emotional pieces. And the piece that Kai touched on, which I think is important to consider because Western medicine doesn't really have a counterpoint, is that when Kai was talking about the kidneys and willpower, the Chinese medicine, the way they see it, is that the emotions or the, the spirit comes through the prism of the flesh. It comes through the body. And then, different organ systems process different emotions, and so the willpower is housed by the kidneys. So one of the things that's cool about your work, I mean, and I love about Chinese medicine is when you see people that have no willpower, you know which substances, herbs, and thing, and lifestyle practices that will actually replenish the kidneys from a different lens, because people don't think about that, you know, beyond eating corn silk and you know doing some you know, baking soda and water to clean your kidneys. There's not a lot in the West in terms of looking at it through this other lens. So it's really powerful. So now that w- with these tonics, what are you seeing in the, the entrepreneurs that you are working with? Give me some of the, yeah, I would love to hear some of the feedback that you've seen and heard from people who are pushing really hard. And then with the inclusion of some of these Chinese medicine principles, what are you seeing in their in their bodies, and their experience, what's happening?
1: Well, I mean, for one thing, you can make them just like you've been getting into functional medicine testing. And mm-hmm. most of my most of these entrepreneurs at some point get functional medicine testing if they're going to work with me for six months or so. Right. But but I, I think the key is that for them, what's appealing is that they can just add. So so our culture is all about addition. Yep. Do more, take more that. And that is probably unsustainable for the most part however if i am if i want to like plugging into that mentality adding a tonic is like the easiest thing you can do yeah that doesn't take much effort and time that will actually take the place of your morning beverage of coffee or tea but over time we're going to see their adrenal levels improve they're going to start to sleep better they're going to start to have less of a energy lag in the afternoon. This is all things they've reported. Right. They're going to not need a second cup of coffee in the afternoon. Um and I think the I think the biggest the biggest thing that I notice and this opens up the whole door to adaptogens is that after about 3 weeks of steadily drinking a morning tonic with the right herbs, they start to experience that they're dealing with stress in a different way. Yeah. Something happens that they would normally have a Painful or unresourceful response, and now all of a sudden they have a nuanced response to it. That's exactly right, <laughs> and and that's phenomenal. I mean, that's what an adaptogen is, right? It teaches the body to improve, and it's a, a non-specific response to stress. Mm-hmm. So literally improves how we handle uh, toxic stress in the environment, like yep. that level, mental stress and emotional stress. Right. Adaptogens are able to do all three, and I, I love. Diving into the science of that, but basically, as your adrenal reserves are replenished, you have more immunity, more patience, yep. more ability to stand in the fire of uh, stressful stimulus, and not just have one reaction. That's a, that's probably not a resource. You have a choice yeah. of reactions.
0: Yes. Well, you've got more. You've got more in the tank to play with. You actually have reserves where you're not just going to be falling into depletion or overtaxing the bank account. So, Kai, when we're talking about tonics and we're talking about caffeine, people, you know, I talk to people about this idea, but I would love to hear your take on it because there are people listening that are saying, what the hell is a tonic, first of all? And two, what's wrong with just drinking Red Bull and coffee to keep my energy up? Because that is the stimulant sort of thing that we do. And not to mention Adderall is circulated so heavily through the culture. There's a lot of speedy fast methamphetamine type stimulants that we are sort of addicted to. So when people say that to you, well, why can't I just drink Red Bull and, you know, and coffee and have that be my energy for the day? What's the, what's the cost of that and where, where and why are, su- are uh, tonics superior in that process? Hmm.
1: Well, I mean like, it's like a story. Um, caffeine has no innate energy in it. Caffeine goes to the kidneys and tells them to release adrenaline. Yep. It's actually, it's actually to- a toxin. Mm-hmm. That's part of how adrenaline gets released. Yeah. Now, I happen to have a, I have a good relationship with it because there's ways to mitigate that. Yep. But ultimately, caffeine and coffee especially are, is going to – on a long-term basis, it's going to make your bones less dense. It's going to increase inflammation in the body. It's going to lead toward early stage adrenal fatigue, which means that you're going to be weaker, more tired, your immune system will be compromised. So it like caffeine and Red Bull are not a sustainable pathway yep. of energy. You will eventually pay a price. Yep. So that's just that's just truth. Like you want to you can check me on that, you can research it, but that's the <laughs> truth. Yeah. So So Um, And then Red Bull, you have sugar. So now you have diabetes and a tendency toward um, metabolic syndrome, which is just like all of the stress chemicals are amping up and you're kind of pre-diabetic, pre-heart disease. It's all of these conditions that um, uh, in Japan, they have a diagnosis of like hyperactivity of the autonomic nervous system. That's a diagnosis that they'll look for in the 30s and 40s. Uh And they'll use natural methods to offset it. Right. Right. Okay. It's basically like, There we don't screen for early stage adrenal fatigue. We don't screen for that as a standard practice in Western medicine. Correct. But we can we can know. So so what's the what is a tonic and what's the value of a tonic? Tonify means to strengthen the function. Caffeine does not strengthen the function. It just causes the body. It does by causing the body to release, but the function of the kidneys is actually depleted. Mm -hmm. So the the next best level is if caffeine is like a soldier that's going to go rally the troops inside your body adding a tonic is like sending that sending that caffeine with a backpack yeah. of food and rations <laughs> and as those soldiers come out of the kidneys he's feeding them yeah and he's going to and then when the the kidneys are depleted because they've dispatched their soldiers he's going to even put some soldiers and food back in the kidneys so that they're they're more up to strength yeah so that's like so like L-theanine is gonna mitigate some of the pro- you know the problems that caffeine has. It's gonna lower the dip, increase your focus, take the jitteriness out, and most importantly, it's going to clean up the cortisol arc. Yeah. Now, one thing that we could do a whole podcast on. I'm not prepared for it today, <laughs> but co- cortisol is not the enemy. Mm-hmm. You need cortisol to wake up. You do. You need cortisol to get shit done. Right. Chronic levels of cortisol in the body constantly. That's the enemy. Right. So now tonic herbs or some of these adaptogens we're talking about, even beyond mitigating uh, the cortisol spike and then also the drop of energy, these are actually things that after a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, are you're going to actually have more net energy in the body than you had before you started taking them. So 100%. these are literally deposits in the bank account. Yep. You're not expecting to feel it on day one. You're feeling it around day 21. Right. And, and day 91. And now it's really and, – and that's another piece is like understanding how long herbs take to build up and have their have yeah. their result in the body. That's important to, to know and to understand.
0: Right. Because I think the culture is collectively a quick hit sort of fast pace. I want it right now. And if it's not happening now, it's not working and this is horseshit. I'm not going to do it.
1: <laughs> There's... Yeah. And yeah. the, other side, the other side of that with some of my entrepreneurial clients is that they're taking 500 to to $1,000 worth of supplements a month and they don't even know what's doing what anymore. Right. right. So that's the opposite person that just throws right. money at herbs and nutraceuticals and they can't even make a connection between that, that, that money and any positive benefit in their life. Someone told them to take it. Right. That's something that I'm I'm working to help them understand to like go down to the minimum doses of what's actually moving the needle and evaluate it. Well, and it,
0: it's less overwhelmed for the body. There's so, you right. know the, the body has to process the physical body has to process all of these different things. Your liver, your kidneys, everything's processing everything. It's like using too many acupuncture needles or or over right. overloading the body the same way, right? You have, less is often more. Well, I can tell you. Because you were the first person to get me into tonics. I mean, we learned about them in school and there was exposure to them. But when we were living together, I remember you diving really deep into Ron Garden stuff and you were, hence your, your nickname, Latte, because you always made those amazing tonic creamy beverages with all these amazing, you know, coconut, <laughs> coconut milk and herbs and cinnamon. And I remember thinking like, good God, like these are delicious, first of all, which is I think really important to get people to increase compliance is when things taste good <clears throat> because if they taste not, terrible, yeah. you don't, you don't go for it at all. Um, you want to interject? I have more to say, but yeah, no,
1: yeah, no, same way. I just want to say like, that's part of what you t- What's part of what you taught me through your Lillian Bridges transmission is just like how the positive neurotransmitters that are produced by the joy of drinking a beverage that, that tastes good. Yes. is by itself by itself has intrinsic value. Oh yeah. So now even if even if that beverage was neutral to your health. Correct. But it, but you felt good and you were happy and yes. it taste so there's like all that ling or whatever you want to call that. You know? Yeah. Now add and I really think this is kind of the essence of who I am. <laughs> now add on to that that it's tasting delicious and it's going to give you energy now and your adrenals yeah. are going to be replenished. Oh yeah. Shit, dude! That is (laughs) a—that's what I call a value proposition. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well,
0: it's—it's a—it's a a win-win because if you're a foodie like myself and yourself, who we love eating tasty things, I think that's a huge piece, and it's true for a lot of people, even if they're not foodies. Just the fact that it tastes good and can be good for you, I think, should be the high aim of a lot of health advocates and people who are cooking and doing these things. But I can tell you that when I started. Dabbling in tonics, there was a there was a trend that I would notice pretty quickly that would have this huge uptick in certain areas of my body, right like libido would go up, mental clarity would go up, uh physical strength or or um endurance would go up. There were all these things that would kick in, and I was always amazed the way my body responded to tonics was I would take a tonic, you would give me something right, and say, "Here, gray, try this, see what you think of this." And I remember after a while, I started to identify some key things that were simple things too, like ginseng. That was one of my power herbs, where I thought if I take ginseng, there's a very consistent rhythm with that. And when I wouldn't take tonics for a long time, I would take a tonic, I would you know put my ginseng and whatever else I had in there. The first three days, I felt like I was on drugs like it it felt to me my mind and everything was stimulated, and I actually felt as if I had taken something in that was doing something very positive. And then after three days, it would sort of get quiet. And then for about two weeks, I would be at that quiet level. And then, like you said, at the three-week mark, then there was this sort of upswing. And then that would stay if I continued to take the herbs. But it took my body. There was a first initial hit. My body would plateau, and then it would swing back up. And like you said, it, it was about three weeks. Three weeks was about the time where I started to notice... My body is just better equipped in handling, you know, what I'm doing and and how I'm going. And what do you think, Kai, for people that, that don't have any exposure to tonic herbs and they don't know where to get them, they don't know how to research about it, the average American, the average person who knows nothing about this, what can you tell people to get them oriented in the most basic way possible so they can start dialoguing with tonic herbs and make it? Available, accessible, in understanding and an approach.
1: I mean, if you have a degree of interest and intelligence, you can research uh, a little bit about the. There's like there's twelve adaptogens that are officially declared adoption, something like that, ten to fifteen ish, yep. and adoption has to. Uh, Pass three tests, which is one, it has to be non-toxic and has no toxicity. Um, Number two, it needs to have a increase the body's response to stress. Right. And then, you know, number three, it should play nice with other herbs. It shouldn't have any contraindications with other major tonic herbs. This doesn't count when you're getting uh, herbs from your acupuncturist because the the tonic herbs all play really well together. That's part of their, it's part of their uniqueness. Um, so If you stay in those top 10 or so adaptogens and you're willing to do some reading, you will very quickly figure out that if you tend to be overstimulated but you know your adrenals are tired and you have trouble with sleep but you also need to perform, you're in the ashwagandha category. If you get short of breath and your kidneys are weak and you tend to be lethargic, you're moving toward rhodiola. And, and you can just start to look at it. You know, Rhodiol also detoxifies the lungs. Cordyceps, adrenal tonic that also protects the liver. Right. So let's say you drink a lot and you have adrenal fatigue. Mmm, cordyceps, great mushroom for you. Yes. So, so it just requires you to look because and, – and then the next level of, of specification, which, Gray, you'll understand, which I find again and again that naturopaths don't understand, and although I love them and respect them, I I wish they had more respect for Chinese medicine because they don't consider temperature. Nope. They are giving people these 12 bottles of nutraceuticals that all have a thermal nature that are either heating or cooling or drying or moistening. And they're not thinking about that. And that has a major impact on the therapeutic result. That's why some of their patients respond and like have massive results and other patients get worse. Yes. So- so anyway, it's a, so great, then, it's a
0: great thing. I wanna we should chew on that a little more when we're when you're
1: done. Yeah, so that last part I'd say is just like ultimately though, the answer is if you have no health problems and you're you're you like research, try one at a time, take it for a month, take the dosage recommended on the bottle or slightly more. I'm always a slightly more Same. kind of person. Because they're trying to stay safe in that dosage, so they're really usually under recommending. Mm-hmm. Um and, and then journal and notice the changes in your energy level based on what that herb is supposed to do for you. You'll figure out pretty quickly if that works. Otherwise, spend 300 bucks and get a consultation with someone like Gray or me or someone else who will really, like, ask you about your life and your energy levels. And they'll help you really customize the two or three tonic herbs you should be taking so that you have, like, a mini formula. Correct. That would, that's, that would be worth – the three six thousand dollars, whatever that costs you to get that kind of support, is usually going to be worth it on the other side.
0: Agreed, because people, I'm always amazed. People will spend two grand on a TV, and you know, if it comes to two thousand dollars with working with a functional medicine person or a practitioner to get them dialed in, people usually are freaked out. They're like, "Oh, I you know I couldn't do that," and I think it's just how we sort of approach these things. But I want to touch on that point that you just said about. What Kai is talking about, and this is it, really is so important. The thermal nature or the temperature, the energetic temperature of foods, herbs, activities. There's an idea in Chinese medicine where we they stress this idea about yin yang balance, the thermal temperature. Some foods are more warming in nature, and when people, I always try to clarify, and you can chime in on this too, but that it doesn't mean that your body temperature goes up and gives you a fever if you eat something that's warming, quote unquote. That's not what what they're talking about in Chinese medicine, but usually there's a few classifications from what I've heard. And if you, I want, like, I would love to hear what you think on this guy too. I've heard, so it's one is the physical um, perception and and sensation. So people eat a food and they feel warmer inside, right? Or circulation goes up. And then there is usually um, a sense of ease. This is like, if you've eaten an appropriate food, say uh, a food that's the right temperature for you, or an herb that's the right temperature usually there's a sense of ease and not a sense of stress. Something The body feels like it's it's been equalized in some way. But this idea of the hot and cold, um, like Kai said, drying and um, moistening or something that, that will hydrate, that's really important because like you said, right? there are people who have done, you've seen the people who are raw foodists who thrive and then the raw foodists who look sickly like, They're not doing well. They don't look healthy at all, and that's usually because the foods are the wrong temperature for their constitution, for how they're operating, for how they're moving, and that's problematic. That's that's something that we don't we don't look at, and which is pretty cool about Chinese medicine and Ayurveda. They do that pretty well. Those the temperature, the idea of you know dry and wet. Um, how do you? (laughs) So I've asked other people who are in the healing field. How do you navigate this terrain? Do you you? speaking metaphor how do you how do you translate the chinese medical theory in a way that's applicable well, yeah,
1: well i mean that one i just think about like if you've ever eaten a habanero pepper yeah and all of a sudden what happens your nose is running your your eyes are watering you're sweating how powerful is that ability to dilate blood flow yeah. and moisture movement like, holy crap, you are moving moisture. You're dilating. Yeah. That's so powerful. Yep. Just, just like when you eat ice cream and you get a, a brain freeze headache because it's contracting your blood flow. That cold contracts. And and so just just imagine if a surgeon wants to change your body, he's going to cut you open, put in a screen to open something, or he's going to tie something off to close it, and yet food is always doing either opening or closing, either contracting or expanding. So right there, it doesn't require any kind of metaphorical understanding to recognize that temperature has an effect on the body. Right. right. So when you put ice into the body, or ice cream or whatever, all of your digestive uh, functions and all along your esophagus, everything's contracting, 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 all the way down. And I'm not saying you can't have that, but if your digestion's impaired, that is gonna mess you up. Correct. So, and then the next thing, I just give another example of like ginger and mint. Yeah. Both ginger and mint are, and this brings in another layer of the flavor. That's mm-hmm. not the temperature. This is the flavor. Yeah. So the flavor of ginger and mint is pungent, meaning that it's aromatic. It opens things. Yes. You can drink ginger, you can drink ginger tea in your nose or You can drink mint tea because pungent opens, right? Yep. But mint is cooling in its thermal nature and ginger is warming. So, right there, if you've got heat or fire or, or inflammation, actually, ginger and mint both help reduce inflammation. But yeah. in some ways, if you have a cold digestive tract that isn't functioning, ginger is going to be really good. Yeah. If you've eaten a lot of spicy, greasy food and there's some damp heat in there, mint's going to be better. And so just, just just recognize if you can just bite into that logical piece that there's a whole world of function and fun and healing if, if you were to learn about that stuff or get support with it, you know? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Agreed. And it's one of the coolest pieces, I think, of Chinese medicine. When we, we used to nerd out on this living together, we would cook these amazing meals and we were applying what we knew to the best of our abilities. And I think that's where... Kai and I have had a lot of good conversations around food specifically. But for instance, when the, the salad I've made for us, the earth tonic salad, which is in Chinese medicine, salad is seen as a cold, energetically cold food and can stagnate the spleen, the stomach. It's hard on the earth element in the body. And so that was it was a no-brainer. I was like, well, let's grate ginger into it. Let's add a bunch of black pepper. Let's do things that are, you know, that course and move the liver. And we would, that we would eat that salad and you can tell right away you're like this isn't your stomach is actually warm afterwards you know from the ginger and if you're eating it with meat it, it goes really well and it's just knowing how to play with this balance
1: totally How I, to tip think the scales i think i think you know like i love the name of your podcast lifestyle medicine it's like you can have the all the good things in life as well as your health and feel and feel good and energized and it, there is a price to pay and it's just the learning, the learning and the skills. Like I loved you talking to uh, Taylor about cooking and how learning to cook is is like such an asset to a human being if they can take the time to do it. Yeah. Because your food is your foundational medicine. Yeah. And if you can make it delicious, if you can modify it to what's going on with you and what's going on with your body, yeah, I think it's awesome, man. So yeah, I love it. I love it, it's fun.
0: It is fun. <laughs> it's like one of the best parts for me because it's exploratory. So. Kai, what do you think with all of these these things that you're doing? Working with you're working with entrepreneurs, you are educating people on adaptogens, so getting them to adapt and to handle stress better. As you're doing this and moving Chinese medicine knowledge into what I would call the modern American culture and helping people in that way, How do you find the balance between, because I know at your heart, just from us getting into conversations, how you're so devoutly um, aligned with the tenets of Chinese medicine, the philosophy, the actual approach to the medicine. How do you juggle, I guess, staying true to the classical roots for yourself, but also modernizing it and making it accessible to people without, I guess, sacrificing both? Because I'm always, part of me, I feel like sometimes I need to hang out with scholarly Chinese medicine people just so I can talk on that and keep my brain in that mode. But then I'm, I also get a little tired of that and say, actually, I need to talk about it in simpler terms and just get it out to people and expose it to them. How do you juggle that? Because I, I ask that question to a lot of Chinese medicine practitioners. How do you stay true to the medicine for yourself and contribute to society at the same time?
1: Yeah, that's that's such a good question. Um well, I well, the first thing that comes to mind is a story. Is like there's a my first business was called Nourishing Life, and there is a Chinese concept called Yang sheng, Yang Sheng, mm-hmm. Nourishing Life. There's also Yang Shen, nourishing your consciousness. There's also Yang Ming, nourishing your destiny. Mm-hmm. So, at the foundation of Chinese medicine, at its deepest spiritual roots, I believe, and I believe this is historically established, Chinese medicine is not to Cure your tennis elbow, uh, or get get your diarrhea to go away. Its its higher goal is to bring people in alignment with their highest destiny, just like feng shui is, Mm -hmm. just like face reading is, just like tai chi is. It's about maximizing the destiny and potential of a human being. Okay, so if we go from that perspective, and then and then we drop into yang sheng, which is this period of time in Chinese medicine history where Chinese medicine was moving from oral tradition, shamanic teacher to apprentice kind of transmission, mystical, um, intuitive, but also there was a body of taught knowledge and it was becoming academic. It was becoming regulated. Yeah. And so there was a blend of mystical and academic at that time. And these, these, uh, these, these. Practitioners were getting so pedantic, so so uh, academic that one of the like OG uh, mystics came in, who was also equally smart, and he said, "Look, I love you guys, I respect you, but if you can't explain your concepts to a, a, a an eight year old or a grandmother, you've lost the Tao in your medicine." Yeah. The, well, yeah, the per- great.
0: That's a great the, statement.
1: So no matter how deep you dive into the blood staunching medicinals of the shanghan lun or the the you know the p way versus the fire school like you're getting into ego like don't hurt your patients and just make sure that that knowledge is not for knowledge alone but it actually has therapeutic impact and so i took that deeply to heart and so i, I would yeah. say that when you go back into the classical academic chinese medicine keep asking yourself the question how will this serve my patients and myself that you will start to select the useful components of it so that's one way that i balance it yeah. on a pr- on a practical level i i i have my patients who don't care about classical chinese medicine but i will consult with people that are elders about my client studies and yeah. when i consult with them they're speaking to me in chinese medicine terms and i'm back in it and, but then I'm, I'm creating a formula or a breathwork or a qigong technique that will support this entrepreneur. They don't have to know anything about those mystical mechanics back there. Yes. So that's one way. Um, the other answer is I'm working really hard to free myself up and, and have products and courses that are uh, require less of my time so that I can go back to study with Jeffrey Yuan, that I can go back to Yang Lausher, so yeah. that I can do, do my next level of increasing my understanding. Yes, so so the other answer is I'm not balancing it very well like, because I really I really want to go back.
0: It's hard. You know? I mean, yeah. it's it's hard, man. It's it's difficult to continue to self educate and continuing education with teachers and masters, and also give to the general public in a way that's relevant. That's not just making them zone out or are where, where they say I don't I don't want to hear this. Right? I can't follow the philosophy or the ideas. So there's definitely a a hurdle there. But again, what i found is it's definitely fun. For me, it becomes almost like a game. How can I take the esoteric and make it digestible and accessible without them even really knowing necessarily what what they're getting? Putting it in digestible terms, I think is really, it's it's important for sure. I
1: think, Gray, I think one of the things that I, I love about you the most is that you value beauty and metaphor and art? Yeah, and you also value practicality and functionality. I do. And yeah, and so so I love that because for me Chinese medicine is beautiful, <sighs> but it's beautiful because it works. Yeah. But but there's like a like a poetry and like if we're I I just like to cap off this part of yeah. adaptogens as we maybe move into something else it's just like. I don't know if you remember the quote I sent you about how, like, on the metaphorical level, on the doctrine of the signatures level, there's this teaching that goes into Greek medicine, Chinese medicine, Middle Eastern medicine, shamanic medicine, that plants develop their adaptive capacity to survive in nature through drought, through uh, heat, through floods, And those most valuable plants which bears themselves out in their pharmaceutical testing are ones that have endured great hardship. Yeah. And it's in their plant's ability to adapt and survive that the phytochemicals and the alkaloids and all the other active chemical constituents are produced at higher levels. Yeah. And so literally these plants are lending us their knowledge and their wisdom of how to survive, That's and it's it, it, it's a spiritual transmission. It's a wisdom in them. Young plants won't won't have it, and so in the same way that that metaphor from from shamanic herbalism is now true in modern chemistry, yeah. There are there's so many places we can look for that metaphor in our life. You know, like we can talk about hormesis, like the fact that when we undergo hardship physically cold showers fasting it turns on the body's evolutionary capacity yep so we could have learned this from chinese herbalism if we were looking there yeah yeah so anyway um yeah i think we we got to stay with the beauty and you do a great job of helping people fall in love with the metaphor and the poetry and the art
0: yeah i try man like because i think that's what's kept me in it um i think the the syst- this chinese medicine as a system is just fucking elegant. And you know it, I've seen it. And there's so many things I don't know about it, right? There's a, It's a universe in and of itself. There's only so much. The Chinese say you need multiple lifetimes to master all of Chinese medicine. And I believe them. It takes a long time to get everything in order. But those pieces have spoken to me. The art, the elegance, and the simplicity. A lot of it is, uh, there's a lot of simplicity in Chinese medicine that is pretty straightforward and directive that I really like. And I think that's the piece that I thought, well, it's probably doable to make it digestible for americans it's worth a shot at least because that practicality is in there well kai let's talk about this i want i mean i definitely want to talk to you about tai chi because you had mentioned yang lausher and going back to 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 study with him but talk to me about what you've seen i guess in your own practice with tai chi how it's helped you what's you know what's yeah, what's good about it? What do you struggle with? I would love to just yep. hear your stuff on Tai Chi because yep. you and I both share this. And I should, I need to give Kai a shout out here. The the, the Tai Chi form that I teach from Yang Lao, sure, I'm only teaching it because Kai took me to China, translated for me as I asked way too many questions <laughs> because I didn't speak the language. I'm like, Kai, what did he say? Say it better. No, no, that's, I know that's not what he said. <laughs> say it again. But uh, Kai, Kai translated for me and took me there. And, you know, I was able to establish and learn because of you so you know many thanks man because i've got i've got this summer is four years with my tai chi students who've been studying the the short form and they're some of them are getting just dude four years like they've
1: been sitting with this form and they're starting to get really good dude it's cool i'm telling you we should do a long form intensive like we should have because (laughs) you know it's you know the so here's the thing with tai chi you know it's a frame it's a framework and I'm gonna give a shout out to my current, like one of my current mentors who I, I just absolutely love and respect is Dr. Roger Yanka. He's mm-hmm. over 70 years old. He has the Institute for Integral Tai Chi and Qigong. And one of the things that I had learned from Yang Laoshe that Dr. Yanka put even clearer words to is Tai, tai Chi, which is actually Tai Chi is, is refers to a symbol, which we call the yin yang symbol. Yeah. That's not called yin yang that's called the taiji too the, yeah. the 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 great ultimate picture and it represents duality it represents the complementary nature of duality and so tai chi is a martial art based on a philosophy yeah and when you separate that you lose so much value so in and the style of Tai Chi that the Gray and I practice, when one hand goes up, the other hand goes down. The high hand, the yang hand, is on the is on the side of the body that's rooted or yin and it has more weight in it. And there are all these balance-based principles that are that are programmed into the form and they have a function of balancing the flow of blood. And functional energy in the body. Yep. They have a they have an they have a impact of balancing the left and right hemisphere of the brain. Big they time. have an impact of, of balancing the heart's electromagnetic function of beating in a slower, more comfortable way. They balance the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. All of this is intrinsic in Tai Chi because it, it's based on the fact that the the complementary opposites in our world. Okay, so what the fuck does all that mean, right? What, what, what am I saying? <laughs> which, I'm saying which I what I'm love saying all of it. is that <laughs> if you don't sleep, eventually you will pay the price in your performance during the day. Yeah. If you have sex too much, there is a law of diminishing returns. You will eventually not even want to have sex, and on very least, you'll feel tired and depleted. Right. Some of your neurotransmitters, compassion, will be depleted. So it is this. Deep philosophy for bringing peace and balance to a human being by understanding that we are in a world of duality. Yep. And it is so incredible. And I'll, and I'll say the last part is that if if you and this is a new revelation that I've had, Grant, and I'm not sure if I shared with you. I don't know. Yeah. Is that laid on me? <laughs> so, you know, I used to think Tai Chi was only for certain people. And I've realized more recently, and this is a spot that Gray and I have a slightly different approach is that for me to function, I need a little bit of the hard aspect of martial arts to run Fajing, to run fast movements, to get a little bit out of breath and then slow down, which is why I've gravitated also toward Chen style, which in its base form has about 20% of the movements being fast emission of force and then Mm -hmm. goes right back to slow. Yep. What is what is that type of martial art teaching us? It is teaching – it's one of the few things in the world that teaches you to run the hormones of get shit done and the hormones of relaxation parallel. Yeah. And, and if you're listening to this and you want greater performance in your life, you want more longevity in your life, you want a healthier relationship, you are asking to be able to run the, the masculine, uh, stimulating – neurotransmitters and neurohormones, along with the relaxation, healing, relaxed awareness hormones. Yep. And nothing teaches that better than either hard martial arts with a good dose of soft or soft martial arts with a decent dose of hard. Yeah. If you run that, you will function better under stress. You will react better yep. to what's coming at you in life. And you don't even have to think about it. Just train diligently Go to your class, do what your teacher tells you, and you will get those benefits even if you're not thinking about it. Oh, yeah. I so that's agree. that's where I've come to that actually I believe most people would be massively enhanced by studying a type of Tai Chi that has embedded in it the the philosophy and the practice, you know, of art and is, thought.
0: The pieces yeah. integrated. I agree. And I have there's a few different directions that uh, things I'd like to say here. The... Tai Chi, I've always thought about as a martial art. It was definitely used for fighting uh, in olden times in China. Definitely has strong ties to health cultivation. And one of the things I've always sat with in studying Tai Chi, especially in the past few years and teaching it so consistently, and I see the change in my students and how they think and operate and their mood shift and their bodies getting stronger and more coordinated. The thing that's stuck with me also There are a lot of students in my class, most, right, who aren't particularly interested in the martial aspect. We still talk about it. I still show it. I still show joint locks. I still show strikes. How to push, saying this is what you're doing. There's a functional um, mechanism that's happening with your body in this gesture. And so what I've seen, though, is that people, regardless if they're going to use this in a self-defense capacity, the onslaught of life just so much of life is i don't want us to think of it always as a battle but there's so much that we are environmental toxins could be seen as as an opponent right or 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 an enemy these these larger um toxic people that are just emotionally draining to us could be seen as an opponent in us in a sense that the wrong foods can be an opponent there's all these things that can come at us and i think what's cool about it is that outside of the physical self defense fighting piece there's something very real about Tai Chi making you more Martially oriented in your Outlook to all stressors Every stressor in your life Can be seen as an opponent And I feel like Tai Chi Makes you more aware of that How to you know move a little Softer say your words a little Softer soften them a bit you Know they don't need to be as Penetrating or as harsh all of These things start to shift and Happen with the practice of Tai Chi and that's one of the Coolest things I think I've Told you this my mom has been Studying with me since I Started my class so she's Coming up on four years as is my stepdad, Bob. And they are, when I've asked my mom, who's now, she's turning 70 on your on, on your birthday. <laughs> you guys share the same birthday coming up here. And I asked my mom, I said, mom, what have you picked up from Tai Chi? It's been four years. And she, the first time I asked her, she almost teared up. She, her eyes sort of got full of tears and she said, Great. the thing that's different is, is, she said, it's here and here, you know, and for people that aren't looking, I'm pointing at my my heart and my head. She said, this connection between these two things is better. She said, I respond better to people and life situations. And my, you know, my understanding of how I look at the world, political things, things that used to really stress me out. She said, I don't respond nearly as harsh as I used to. And I'm more, she said, I'm more at ease, I'm more adaptable. And I thought, God, I mean, that's at the crux of what Tai Chi is is. in its movement, right? Don't force, don't push. Be receptive. Listen through contact, force, um, all of these things. And I completely agree with you, man, to to touch on that point of the hard and soft. I think when I first met you, I was... I can't remember where I was in my development when I met you, but I remember years back, I was not sure if martial application was absolutely necessary in studying these arts and then sometimes i thought yes that's all that's really important i've gone i've kind of vacillated between those extremes and now with tai chi i do a lot of muscle testing i do a lot of when we're holding a posture i come by and i press on people and say is your body structurally sound right is there is could this posture actually hold some kind of physical strength and not just an empty floating you know frame of just nothing on inside because I think that's the piece you're talking about, right? That that, yeah. that element of hardness is real. <laughs> it's As soft as Tai Chi is, the element of that hard piece cannot be ignored. And if it is, I think it's the art suffers big time.
1: Well, I think, yeah, I think there's a couple of distinctions I want to bring in and kind of just illuminate what you're talking about. Yeah. So I remember teaching my sister, Jill, and she had this one move that she just couldn't get right. And it was a push. And I said, Jill, I want you to imagine that our father is in front of oncoming traffic and he's 200 pounds. You know that. How would you do this move if you knew you were pushing him out of traffic? Instantly, she did the move correctly. Right. I brought in emotionality. Mm-hmm. Now, something that you you primed me for that I, I also understand now is that – and this is going to go into something that Yang Lasha teaches all the time that hopefully it will drop in again on you, Gray. It's yeah. like – You've showed me many times that the highest level of martial arts is about internal connections. Mm -hmm. And so if someone's in a posture and you press on their upper hand and it's not rooted to their back heel, the hand collapses, you know, because you're only using the muscles of the arm. Correct. the same thing if you push like you were were demonstrating one of your videos on Facebook. If you push with just your triceps, that's not even close to pushing with your whole upper torso, which Mm -hmm. is not even close to pushing and sinking and getting into earth energy. Right. So by using different types of testing to show them whether or not they have internal connections, you are helping them find a deeper level of interconnection in their body. Okay, now let me go poetic for a second. Yeah, please
0: do. (laughs) Okay,
1: so the teaching in the Tao and from Yang Laosha is that the fundamental alchemy of life is fire and water. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Okay, let's say you don't have any idea what that means the earth was a ball of rock and ice with no life on it and it got caught in a orbit of the sun and those the warmth of the sun as, as earth got drawn into its magnetic orbit it started to slowly over a long period of time warm up until the point where the mag where the, the earth's moisture became water and steam and that steam became the atmosphere now there's a there's it's slightly not this is slightly simplistic because somewhere in that concept there's a magnetic field that came about yeah so there had to be a magnetic field now whether that came from the core of the earth whether it's a hollow core or magma core whatever we can talk about that but regardless there is no life in a planet of ice correct and there is no life in fire life occurs when there's a balance of moisture and warmth yeah, and the very atmosphere that we breathe is fundamentally fire infused into water. Gray, are you with me? Are yes. you following this? Yes. Okay. So chi that we breathe on a, on a basic earth science level is the marriage of the sun's warmth into water, which creates steam. Yes. We die in the desert with no water and too much sun. We die on the North Pole with right. no heat to move our blood. So this is just truth. This is basic truth. Now. In the metaphor, in our body, our spirit is the fire. Our consciousness is the fire. Yes. And sickness and deterioration of the body happens when the body's innate intelligence breaks down or consciousness. And death is when the body, when when the spirit or the conscious leaves the body. There's no organizing principle. The body deteriorates back into the earth. Mm-hmm. Right. Definition of death in Chinese medicine: separation of yin and yang. Right. Spirit leaves body, body deteriorates. Okay, so here's what Yang Lao Shu said all the time.
0: And to, and to give y- Yang Lao Shu to, to everyone listening is our teacher
1: in China. Yeah. So, <laughs> teacher Yang, teacher Yang. This is what he would always say. He'd say the, the health and longevity is based on the integration of the mind into the body. Because the more deeply you penetrate your consciousness into every cell of your body the more intelligent your body becomes. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, it does. I, I mean, it's mindfulness. Yes. It's Eckhart Tolle saying to scan your body with no judgment and to do that. But on a, on a metaphysical level, which I believe is real, the more our mind can be evenly dispersed into every cell of our body, the more we're able to push a person larger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. The, more, the the more The less chance of any kind of pathogen invading, the less chance of us Owning someone else's emotional projection because we so deeply inhabit ourselves Yes, and so I, I, I believe that high-level martial skill is, t- is Requires the mind to be so deeply in in every part of the body to create that internal connection that the side effect is health emotional resilience Presence increased immunity. Yeah, that it, that is a byproduct of mind body integration.
0: Yes, well said, amigo. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm on board. I mean, Tai Chi, That's the that's the thing. I think when people practice Tai Chi, I think, and we've talked about this before, Qigong can be fundamentally simpler in its approach. Tai Chi is fundamentally more complex. There's more moves. There's more gestures. There's more things happening with your body that you have to track. But the payoff in the end is this repetition of the same gestures that you pick up a sequence, you pick up the movements and they do have an innate intelligence built into them. So much of what's happened over the course of the last four years as I've trained it is me seeing as I study it, people will ask me a question about the form of a a section. And if I don't have any frame of reference to it, I usually end up, that becomes my practice. I go and practice that portion of the form and I sit with it for sometimes a week or two until I start to get, until the answer matriculates. And I'm always amazed at how the answer sort of comes from just practicing the form. So it has something built into it. You're, you're absolutely right. And I think that's the piece that's beautiful about things like yoga too. Mind-body integration. That we're trying to, to put, our, put our awareness, our intent, our focus into the body. So that it's more resilient across the board. If, if yeah. we have that, it's, I mean, God, it makes life easier. That's for sure
1: and and i i totally agree and the other piece is like when when we are caught up in our addictions and our distractions when when we have unresolved emotional issues that are in the tissues which most of us do and you know biology belief the body keeps the score there's a myriad of research understanding how our how our emotional issues and traumas and wounds get stored and programmed into the body the 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 person who starts tai chi will come in contact with that right away yeah. (laughs) because as you're asked to slow down and as you're asked to breathe and as you're asked to relax, what you're going to notice is what's in the way of your body coming into this ideal form and shape and interconnectivity are all of your patterns of distraction, pain, and trauma that are stored. And so, so even though, so, so, you know, Ron Teagarden says it this way, it's probably a Taoist saying, he says, when you dig a well, the first few buckets come up muddy. Yeah. So when you're about to go into a mind-body practice, you might want to create an expectation that you you may not enjoy it the first couple of weeks. And the payoff for the person who enjoys it less is even bigger than for the person who comes in and just loves it. Because it's likely that person that feels resistance, that has discomfort come up, that you actually have more to heal yeah. and more benefit to gain from it. So it's just an ironic. And so the Chinese would say, enjoy your medicine, which is to say, eat bitter. Eat bitter. Eat bitter. Oh my God, eat bitter. (laughs) You know, when you do horse (laughs) dance and your mind really wants to go somewhere else, that's the medicine right there. You know, so anyway, I'm not trying to scare people away from Tai Chi. I'm just saying that – No. the things that don't feel good are often where your next breakthrough comes from, interestingly. And Sadly. I'm a pleasure-seeking person. and mm-hmm. I, I, But I have to admit that a lot of times if there's discomfort there, there's probably a gift on the other side of it.
0: Oh, yeah. And, and I think you have to balance those two forces, I feel like, to maintain any level of sanity and health. Is that you've got to – oh, man, you have to bump elbows with the ugly demons that you don't want to touch – and at the same time, as you talked about, I've heard you talk about pleasure stacking, where mm. you also have to really indulge and enjoy yourself when those times come, because when they're really actually there, they're not phenomenally common either. You know, that there's a, I mean, it, I don't feel like, I can tell you when I have an amazingly pleasurable experience with friends and something, and I'm like, wow, that was a special, magical moment but it doesn't happen all the time either you can have lots of this you know like oh yeah that was a good little hangout that was this and that and then you can have those really dark horrible things that we don't like you said don't want to touch but boy having both i think is really important but i agree man heroes aren't they're not they're not born they're made they have to go through really horrid shit most of the time to get to a place where they've got medicine that they can deliver
1: back Right. Just like the just like the plants. Right. Yes. And just like just like most of our heroes today, the real ones, not just the story ones from Marvel, but the real ones like Tony Robbins, like Brene yeah. Brown, they came from a <sighs> difficult, difficult path. And yeah. that's what made them so, so open and so skilled is, is figuring out how to navigate that process. Yeah. You know, great. It reminds me um, there's a new book out on psychedelics. Mm I think it's Michael Pollan. He wrote the Omnivore's Dilemma. Is yeah. that right? Am I saying his name right?
0: Yes, Michael Pollan. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I listened to his podcast because this book is is considered the 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 first time a book's been written by a journalist for the modern public. Yeah. And one thing he said, uh, I'll share two pieces that really landed for me. He said, for one thing, psychology has artificially divided anxiety, depression, uh, you know, into these separate right. categories, right? right Reduction. Right. Like, When in reality, they're the same, they're symptoms of the same uh, innate existential crisis. Mm. And he said, it's really crazy to think that in psychology, we totally accept that one traumatic experience can create a a myriad of problems in someone's life. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. He said, basically, what, what the research is showing us through psychedelics is that psychedelics are the counterpose they are they are an experience where if structured with the right set setting and container can be so deeply positive that it actually undoes yeah all of the previous stuff that happened to us so this is it this is like this is such a cool concept that we can have one so powerfully pleasurable insightful joyful experience that it can actually fix or heal or undo a lifetime of trauma in a very brief amount of time.
0: Yeah, and it makes me think about, and it's not just healing. Well, it is, it's one and the same, but I feel like it also gives you access. Like you said, if the trauma is a gift, if there's a gift in there, I think sometimes we just can't, for whatever reason, we just can't access the gem from that experience. And I feel like psychedelics, they give you access sometimes where you're able to frame it. You know, the. I think I told you when I, back in... Right at the beginning of 2018, the tail end of 2017, I sat with my, my first ayahuasca ceremony. And I went, in, I went in to that ceremony strictly to process teal, my daughter, being in the hospital for a month. And that was the impetus and the drive behind why I was going in. Because that experience was, without question, the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And I remember going in and thinking, I want to deal with this. That's part of why I'm here. And then going into that space, I was amazed at how simple the message was once I was inside and was confronted with that. Now, mind you, I cried a lot because I was processing a lot of horrible things that I had gone through, but really what it, in a nutshell, and it was more emotional than a mental thinking process, but it's sort of like I was shown the scenario of my daughter being in the hospital, and it was a real simple message. We all struggle somewhere in life. Some people do it really early, some people do it in the middle, some people do it at the end, and some people don't do it at all, and they're not any better for it. So struggle can hit you at any time in life and it doesn't really matter. And the message I got was, this is when the struggle came for her. This was her first major hurdle. It is what it is. And be grateful that she's more resilient. As a, It's like a plant, a fledgling little baby being challenged right out of the gates early on and that simplicity in that answer was pretty amazing. I thought that's exactly right. It's just a stress early on. That's totally that's just where she got it, you know. But I wasn't I couldn't get there. I mean, I wouldn't totally. I wouldn't have gotten there. I wouldn't have been able to get to that place without the guidance <laughs> without yep. without that opening and without that um that medicine giving me access to the trauma. But then I was better for it. You know, in the end when I look yeah. back, I'm like I'm glad I went through it. It made me it opened up a whole new can of struggles, but it opened up, made me better. Yeah, made me a better, better husband, better father. That's for sure. Count your blessings.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, it reminds me of a a, ph- a philosopher uh, who was analyzing Chinese culture. He once said that that all of Chinese religion and philosophy has at its core a certain state of consciousness mm-hmm. that, in his opinion, is its most valuable contribution to the world yeah and that consciousness is called relaxed vigilance Ooh, i like that
0: that's and, way better than relaxed awareness
1: yeah relaxed vigilance and yeah and what i what i realized i just had an experience recently where i was under the influence of psychedelics and i was i i was stricken with grief and and missing of my mother and my brother who mm. passed away and i i literally just looked up and i was i instead of numbing or escaping or anything i just sat with that for a second and immediately it was like forgiveness wow and i was like oh and so then i just brought my brother into my mind and i was like wait is it me that needs to forgive him or him that needs to forgive me or what is it (laughs) and then i was like i just went literally like i love you so much todd i forgive you i forgive you please forgive me please forgive me like ho'oponopono right like i just ran and i could feel him coming closer to me yeah because now all the memories of him are, aren't being pushed away because of some blame or judgment or guilt on my part. And yeah. then once I had done that and I felt him really close to me, I just brought my mother in. And that whole – and I did the same thing. I said, Mom, what, these are all the things I was angry at you about and it doesn't matter anymore and I love you and I miss you. I miss all these things about you. Please forgive me. And bam, I felt her spirit closer to me. And what does that mean? I felt my memories of her – uh, more present and positive, rather than pushed away and anchored to the negative. Yes, and that happened in probably ten minutes. You know, in a psychedelic experience that I just stepped away and did my own thing. Now I can feel that that's a change that sticks with me. Yes, and and I believe that what you learn in Tai Chi is that same relaxed vigilance. Because what I've noticed with with uh, with most psychedelics is that there. There is a lightness and a groundedness at the same time. Yep. I can pop Tai Chi postures and hold them and land in a one-footed stance and just be in it and be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God, I'm so stable. I'm so light right now. Yeah, But I'm so grounded right now. Yep. I'm so relaxed right now. It's relaxed vigilance. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably the biggest – that's a big medicine for our culture. And because you can't do psychedelics all the time, I think yeah. that's where – meditation, qigong, breathwork, yeah. tai chi, they are so pivotal to be able to sustain this with a practice.
0: Yes. Right. And it's like a slow drip that where you can get an altered state, quote unquote, but not necessarily be into the full dipped shamanic realm where you're processing sometimes your your ancestry and the, and the, the rough trials and tribulations of people who have left us. Well, you, you hit on a really interesting point just now as you were looping it back to the Tai Chi thread, which was when we were living together, We, you and I have shared about traumas from our parents, right? Things that like our parents maybe did or the way they certain, you know, no one gets out perfect. But one of the things I had talked about when my dad was still alive was he was hard on me uh, for my weight when I was younger. And I had said to you, I told you this story of, I don't know, it, it was a story that always was sort of I was bitter about and it always really like hurt my feelings and I remember telling you and it was I, I think I was in great America and he allowed either my friend to get an ice cream cone and not me because he was thinner you know and and at the time I was like you dirty bastard first of all because like I'm a kid and I want ice cream and <laughs> why can't I have ice cream and I was really upset about it for years like he's judging me He's, you know, doesn't accept me for just how I am. And I remember telling you that story, and you, you just, with no context to my, to my trauma, you said he was looking out for you, and you, you made it so blunt and easy to understand. You're like, he's watching out for you. He didn't want you to get diabetes. He saw you were just running down the fat kid path, and was, you know, was trying to stop you. And he were, I remember you saying that and I'm like, no, Kai, he was, you know, like, no, he was, you know, hurting my feelings. And you're like, no, he was helping you out. And I remember thinking that, um, it was, it was the, one of the few times I was able to, um, give context to a negative experience and I saw it as something positive. Like you were mm-hmm. saying with your mom and it's I think we can look at those things and sometimes it doesn't require psychedelics. Sometimes it just requires a good friend who doesn't have context and can be listening and present and say the right thing at the right time. But that um but it's very true. I think if we can get to that place we're 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 better off for it. Let me ask you this Kai, and this this kind of connects I guess to psychedelics and the, and all these topics intermesh but power of ritual you and i have both gotten into conversations about ritual um the context for ritual can be different for every person and depending on what you're ritualizing but where do you think ritual fits into all of this because you know i have a pretty personal ritual that i do that you know about um that's my most consistent one but you have you talk about daily rituals and um, so do i but i want to hear your thoughts on ritual and how that fits into all of all these goodies here
1: I just want to I want to touch on one more thing, and if we come back to it, we can, and then I'll go right into ritual, which is just that. Doctor Yanka, uh, as he traveled around China and met these Taoist masters, um, which are called immortals. An immortal is not someone necessarily that lives forever, although we could talk about whether they've ever existed or not. But what what an immortal is is like in these Taoist uh, communities and mountain towns, they they have an elder who's the oldest, happiest healthiest person in the village and they're considered the immortal Mm -hmm. and as dr yanka went from town to town and of course he, he and his tour group would seek these people out to have audience with them he realized that they all had one thing in common which was that you couldn't convince them that there was a problem oh wow you know someone's got diarrhea and we need a translator and like these people with all these foreigners coming into their house coming to their garden coming to their yard they never got upset they never freaked out. They never worried about the language barrier. And it was across the board. Wow. And that really hit me because Yang Laosher, there's never a problem with him. Yeah, he's pretty mellow. Someone wants their money back for tuition. OK, let's talk about that. Someone's complaining about that. He never gets upset about stuff. Wow. And then you know the story of the, of the, the horse keeper? I don't know. You know the the story of of this Taoist story of this man who lives on the outskirts of town. He has a very beautiful, handsome son. And he has these horses. And, you know, the women from the town are gossiping and come over and say, you're so lucky. You have this great son. You have all these horses. And then the next week, the horses run away. Uh And the people in town are like, oh, poor horse keeper. All his horses ran away. That's so sad. That's so – they're all going through this drama. Mm -hmm. And so – Next thing you know, a couple of weeks go by and the horses that ran away come back and these wild stallions have followed them back. And now he has uh, twice as many horses. Oh, uh, yeah. And everyone's like, you're so lucky. You're so <laughs> lucky. And the horse keeper says, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. And, and, then, and then the son is working with the horses trying to break the wild stallions and he breaks his leg. And all the, all the gossiping people are like, oh, poor horse keeper. And the horse keeper says, we'll see. And then the, the town goes to war and all of the young men are conscripted into the army and the son can't go. Because he's got a broken leg. <laughs> he's got a broken leg. And right. the horse keeper says, no, we'll see. Yeah. But he, that's, that Taoist story, which never made sense to me, now makes sense to me that yeah. he, he's just trusting the Tao. Yeah. And I'm just, I say that to say this. I, what I see in you and myself as we get older is that when challenges come up, I'm less likely to go into some self judgmental story or some suffering story. And I'm more likely to say, I've, I've gotten through everything else in my life and a- almost always the, the pain and the challenge has become a gift. Yeah. So can I accept the gift right now and leave some of the pain and challenge away? And I, I, I think that's one to, to, to cook with, to, to sit with. Yeah. It's a,
0: did you have you listened to um, the ninth episode of this podcast with Larissa Conte? The whole thing was on, it was on grief, well, grief rituals and but rituals in in general, and it was it was around around this what you just said. I mean that's a huge thread to that, um, and I think people we have this weird we have this weird relationship with pain. Where pain has somehow, if we experience pain, there's there's a badness to it. it it's somehow a bad, a bad thing. People, I don't want to feel that.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't want to cry.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't want to let in the grief about my mom. I don't want to let in the grief about... And this thread that you're talking about just now, what Larissa has stressed to me, she's, she says that for one, you, can, you can't avoid it. And to avoid it is going to rob you of life.
1: So... Let me, let me put, I want to, there's a wisdom teaching that's been dropped on me. Yeah. I'm still sitting with it and I'm going to, I want to, I'd like to say it to you and you tell me what it means. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Suffering is optional. Pain is not. <sighs> suffering. Oh man. Is op- suffering. Optional. Pain is not. Pain is not optional. Suffering is optional.
0: So it to me that immediately makes me think pain like a stimulus. If you get burned, it's gonna hurt. If a if a if a rod iron, hot rod iron burns you, pain you can't get away. It's going to physically hurt. But the suffering after the fact is the suffering is sort of the I would say the past tense. It means that the stimulus you can't change. Bad a bad thing can happen or a you know a, a painful thing is going to happen but the suffering seems like the long term relationship to that experience more or less right
1: right and so so our parents are going to die childbirth yes. is childbirth is painful and risky relationships are going to dissolve pain, there is pain in life yes the the optional part is how we categorize it and yeah. and file it. and that's where we create our own suffering
0: mhm
1: so let me let me transition that into ritual yeah so the most powerful ritual that got me really interested in studying ritual formally, that one of the experiences that I've had that I teach in my programs, mm-hmm. is I was in Taiwan and I have I had buried my mother and brother and I know what those funerals were like. And my, my Qigong teacher at the time, Hai Haiyang Marcus, this amazing white crane teacher that I would love to go back and train with. <laughs> if I, I had nothing else to do in life, I would go train with him. Um, he... He would come down to a little mountain town I lived in because his parents were from there. He was in Taipei. And anyway, he calls me on the, the weekend that we normally have class and he says, Kai, my father died. Mm. And I said, oh, well, um, you know, I'll just let me know when you come up for air and we'll start training again later. He goes, no, no, no. I'm coming this weekend for the funeral and I'm, we're gonna train every morning and then I'm gonna go to the funeral after. Wow. And I'm like, oh, teacher, you don't have to do that for me. That's he's like, no, there's nothing I'd rather do then pass on my gift and lineage and you know, not like giving me his lineage, but you know, pass on his work and, and then go, that'll be like the best way for me to prepare anyway. So we go there the first day and we get done. And he says, you're coming with me to the funeral. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I've never seen a Taoist funeral. I want to see this. So day one, we go to the funeral and there are these professional whalers, these beautiful young women. Who have like a red bandana and they're wearing like white Jedi looking robes. And every time the family – everyone's wearing dark colors. Every time the family – there's nobody crying in a a way that it's audible. The whalers start crying. Wow. And then what do you think happens to the family? They get entrained. They start crying. They start crying. It goes in a wave. That crying dies down. There may be like 10 minutes of silence. The whalers start crying again.
0: Like they're facilitating the crying
1: process. They are literally the people wow. are in a, u- we're in a U shape. The 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 altar to the dead fathers up front, and the wailers are on a carpet in the middle. Wow. And they dance, and they thrash, and they thrive, and they, ah, ah, wow,
0: you know, it's,
1: it's powerful. Wow. And so there I am, a guy I don't even know, and I'm bawling. Yeah, I'm Bawling, man. I'm almost, I'm getting teared up now. So next day, hey. We're going to train Qigong again in the morning tomorrow and we're going to go to day two of the funeral. And I'm like, oh, shit. I don't know if I can handle another day of that. I'm I'm going to make an excuse or something. I think I'm tapped (laughs) out, homie. So we get there that day. It's in a different different place and it is a complete celebration like an Irish wake. Everyone is wearing fancy clothes. They're playing music. We're eating his favorite foods. People are drinking, telling stories of his father. It's a freaking party, dude. Yeah, I had so much fun. Got a little, got a little libations in oh, me. Oh yeah, some some, 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 you know, some chinko uh, gio. This like kind of like a stronger, um, a sake that Taiwanese yeah. make. It's not like bai in China, like vodka, uh-huh. and it's n- not as weak as sake. It's a little. It's like right in the middle of the oh, two. Oh wow. really, really not liquor in in China. So I had a great day. It's so much fun. I got to know everybody. It was great. Okay, there's a third day to the funeral. Third day, everyone's in white and there are Taoist priests there and they are chanting and reading texts to pave the road to heaven for the father, Mm. to God, and everyone's meditative, no talking. Wow. And so there's this funeral where they cried, they celebrated, and then they guided him on his journey. And I really, I, I, I realized in my heart, you guys can make your own meaning around this. That I believe, if every funeral was like that, there would be way less emotional grief to carry for years to come. I mean, it's basically NLP, the grief process. Mm-hmm. Get all the feel fully the grief of letting go, celebrate the life and the joy. And then get into that meditative space to like what lessons are you taking away from this and the certainty that he's in a better place. Yeah. That made me realize that in America we need new rituals. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So anyway, in short, for me, rituals are a technology. They're a reliable set of behaviors, emotional thoughts, emotional states, uh, thought states, body postures that reliably produce a result. So yeah. they're just a technology. They're not, it's not religious necessarily.
0: Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree. Um, Alex, Kug, you know, Alex Kugler, who we, we, yeah. we know. You know, Alex, big shout out. What's up, buddy? Um, he talks about, when he talks about prayer, he says prayer technology, sharing this prayer technology with people. And I think when you look at the lens, what we talked about earlier, Chinese medicine says certain organs in the body digest emotion. And that's a system. And just like any system, it can get backed up, bogged down. It can circulate better. It can self-regulate. And I think ritual puts us into that emotional terrain that allows that stuff to start to happen. But I think it's a concept people don't think about. To think about the well-structured flow of your emotional stuff in your body and in your mind and in your spirit, thinking of that as a technology is something that is foreign to most people. We think of tech, right? We think of the, the microphone or the, my HD camera here as technology, but there's the immaterial, the intangible technology, the stuff we can do to better. So I, I agree with that. And I would say, you know, when you're just talking about that three-day ritual, I've been to, I'm sure you have too, standard funerals where it's somber the entire time and there's no joy, there's no laugh, there's no elation. Um, and I have been to celebration of life's where it's mostly celebration and not a lot of um, what you would call somber or grief, and I feel like the marriage is between the two. When there are moments, it's polarity. What we're talking about, how we keep fire and water balanced, the laughter of fire and the crying of tears. You know, the the water. I think those two things. I my favorite thing when I do my ritual. And if you guys that follow me on social media, I, I post a picture once a year of, you know, my ritual I do for my dad. And I, I look forward to that ritual strictly for that reason. I know when I'm out there, I'm going to laugh. And I know when I'm out there, I'm going to cry. And I go into that, and I do, because I talk to him. Just the way you said with your, um, you had your psychedelic experience recently, and you talked to your, you brought your mom into your mind and your brother, and you felt like there was they were getting closer to you. I mean, that portal is open every time I sit out there and do that on April 27th, I I. I drink that whiskey and then I bring him in my mind and I start asking questions and I've, I hear a voice back. I mean, I think it's mine, but I always, it always sounds like his too. And that's a conversation and there's always funny stuff that comes out of it. And I think even in his celebration of life, I saw, I got to laugh and cry and people did in the crowd as well. And people still talk about it to this day, 700 people laughing and crying and doing cheers and telling stories and I mean, it was awesome. But I think like, you're right, I think, boy, I would have a very different path and relationship to that if that hadn't taken place, if there weren't laughter and tears. If it had just been tears, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been the same. And if it had just been celebration, I don't think it would have been right. the same. But right. these, they, these things have weight. I mean, I know yep. you and I both are on the same page there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's like the first time that I got to participate in that ritual with you on the front porch of the treehouse like yep. it was such an honor yeah. I, I didn't go to any of my classes that day yeah i remember because i wanted but it it wasn't that i felt sorry for you yeah i felt the music and the the maker's mark it was just like i wanted to be there with you yeah i wanted i wanted to hear stories of your father you know yeah, yeah. so it's beautiful and you know great the other thing um i think there's a lot of value in telling other people what we love about them and what we mm-hmm. see in them yeah and i one of the things that I most admire about you is that you're you're you have this understanding and this way of seeing the world where you know so on some level, and you can you can unpack this for uh, for all of us in a second if you want, that you know on some level that your your character of how you show up on a day to day basis is built by your habits. Yeah, and your habits are your choice to either abide by or not. And so what I saw in you that is was is very different than how I operate is that you you go back to the most granular simple step that you know if you put one foot in front of the other that will become a habit which will become an aspect of your character which will manifest as a quality of being in your life.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: I've 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 seen that in you time over and at times it's been confusing, at times it's been frustrating, at times it's been <laughs> Uh, uh, all kinds of things, but ultimately I see the efficacy in it.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, man. I
1: see that it works. And so, you know, really you're a, you're a master of ritual.
0: Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. And, um, I mean, it's been an evolving, long studied process and I, I don't think I even knew what I was doing for a long time, but, but you're right that that is how it has come to pass. So I appreciate you seeing it, um, because it's something that's really helped me and you're right. Um, there's there's a quote I, I'll, I'll find it for you sometime but there it's a there's a long standing it's three lines but the last one is habit is the daily battleground of character and when I heard that I thought yeah that's it you know that 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 the habits we do build character um, and that quote talks about you know how we can't make these we can't expect to make these really profound t- decisions if in the mundane quiet moments we've squandered. Character and choice and those things. You know, we have we do have to build it slow and steady all the time, and well, and to mirror that, man. You know, the thing the thing that I love about you, what I've what I've seen. I mean, since the beginning, um, you have maintained a joy, an inspiration for first of all for what you study, but your capacity to inspire. I think that there's there's very few people that I've seen that can actually deliver a message or an idea. That people will get genuinely the fire lit under their ass. Like, what do? What is this guy talking about? He's so stoked. You know, you that comes off very well. That you're very happy with what you're doing. That you've seen result, but you embody it through joy, right? It's not. Mm -hmm. There's not a um, joy and inspiration seem to be your two medicine threads that I'm always uh, most moved by because it's not just always right. You can have the the hard the hard-ass direct luck martial art teacher who's like, this is your medicine. And you're like, oh, he's such a badass. Oh, my God. Like that's, But they're so firm and stern that that yeah. is the medicine. Yeah. People show it in so many different ways. But those are yours, man. Joy and inspiration. Mm. You've got those brimming, and it shows people. I mean, you're able to get um, a lot of people opened up to these ideas because of that, I think. It's a beautiful, yeah. beautiful thread You know, to, to, yeah. to be able to touch on. Well, Kai, what else what else should we talk about, man? Because we have we've, we've had long conversations about lots of different
1: things. But yeah. what else? What do you think? Well, I, I mean the the whole the as I start to transition out of coaching and supporting entrepreneurs, which I, I'm I'm writing my book this year. I'm actually going away to write next weekend. Nice. Um I'm do you, Oh I'm do, you have start
0: a, do you have a title? Just curious.
1: I mean I don't have a I mean the working title is like, you know, The Pathway of Power. Ancient wisdom and modern neuroscience. And for for, and I don't know what's under that. But then the value proposition is like is it possible to grow your business, have your income and your impact while coming from a place of deep inner nourishment? Yeah. The average person wastes one to three hours a day in distraction, overwhelm, and fatigue. Mm -hmm. And yet there are a group of practices. That can put you in energy, clarity, and focus. And they take five to fifteen minutes once you've learned them and you yep. understand them. Yep. And so I think I think like the yeah. So that so that's basically um, as I'm gonna head back into preserving the Taoist arts on mm-hmm. the planet, and to deepening my understanding of all the the wisdom holders of Chinese medicine. I'm gonna leave that book and a and a, a really badass course that's evergreen, that's through Vimify, that's like habit stacking. And it's going to be there for people. If they want to access it, it's going to be there in a really powerful way. Very cool. And then I'm going to get to move into some other stuff Uh, as people get excited about that and they get, they graduate from that. I want to start teaching Qigong and Tai Chi on the deeper level. Again, the neuroscience is going to stay, but I want to get back into the nuances of the physical movement. I want to get back into the combination of psychedelics with meditation and Tai Chi and Qigong. Like what happens when 10 people already know a form yeah, and then we go into a journey and we all do the form for like 90 minutes. Like there's what's possible there is different. That's when uh, the next level of balance on this planet is going to get channeled through those people. Yeah. And it's not possible until they've learned the form and they own the form and they've done some of the preliminary clearing work. Their habits are up to a certain level. Now we can start to build a a second tier of training where I want to – I want to train people in those Taoist arts in a practical way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, it's a great vision, man. I I love that. And I, you just hit on a thread that I really like thinking about, and it's one that you and I have have shared before, which is, um. I think when we, when you learn this, some of this knowledge, some of the Chinese medicine or Ayurveda, there are there are people that you're going to help, and I think we go, myself I go through phases of this, and you have too, but. Sometimes the medicine can help you if you're you're depleted just to bring, bring you to breaking even. It'll bring you to a level place. Maybe you're not excelling, but it'll bring you back to baseline. And then, that's with clients and myself, and then there's this whole other layer when you're doing really well, and it's how do I accentuate and amplify what is already happening. And I think that's where you and I have always been sort of interested, is that ideally we want to Stay below the depletion line if we can and see what we can play within those upper, upper levels, right? How much can we push up and amplify and exemplify what we are and what we're doing? And I think that's, that's a really cool thing to, to think about because I think people are always thinking like, oh, like I feel fine, right? I don't need it because I feel fine. People that are depleted are like, I definitely need help. And they'll come for Chinese medicine or, or some kind of help and support. So I feel like the depleted people can actually get on the path easier because they're depleted. They actually have somewhere to go. But that apathy, that middle ground of, I feel fine, so why do anything? I think that's a that's a real key distinction that people have to keep in mind. Is like, even if you feel fine and nothing's technically wrong, there's a level you can go that's up. You know, you can push yourself a, a little bit more. And when I shared with you, you know, at the most fundamental level, like why I studied Chinese medicine and gong fu was because it was in this reality that's the closest thing to becoming superhuman. It's the closest It's the closest edge I felt like that could be superhero-like, right? I'm not going to be able to fly. I'm not going to be able to, <laughs> or at least not, not yet. Who knows what tonic herbs will bring in the next 50 years. But yeah, man, like, do you think that people, do you think people are hip to that idea that... Yes, if I'm depleted, like okay, it'll bring me to baseline, but do you think people get that that there's there's another level up in terms of expanding, or is that I something mean, you have to explain to people?
1: No, I I think there's a negative way to approach it and there's a positive way to approach it. So then in the negative way, and I, I learned I really learned this from my mother watching her slowly deteriorate over uh-huh. many, many years, like ten years, is that most people that think I just wanna do whatever I'm doing and then I'll die someday. I'm gonna die anyway. Right. Okay, so so hear this one, bro. This one has like been so potent for me. It's like, what those people are not consciously in touch with, much like an addict, mm-hmm. is that there will be a long, slow deterioration of pain suffering, of loss of dignity, of loss of clarity of consciousness. Yep. And not only will they suffer that loss of dignity, that loss of freedom, that loss of mobility, but they will place a burden on all those around them. And as their mind fails in the pain of their body deteriorating, as they keep doing what they've been doing, they're not only going to suffer, they're going to make other people suffer. Yeah, it's very and, true. And and I believe if most people could somehow be made aware of the sum total of that Suffering they've transmitted, the loss of dignity they've experienced. If they, mm-hmm. if you could give them an experience or a preview of that, like a near-death experience where they actually felt it, they would change right now. Yeah, they would be willing to do whatever it takes to not deteriorate like that. Mm-hmm. But the 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 illusion is I'm good. Everyone's gonna get every. Uh, Everything causes cancer and everything has preservatives. And and they're just like, fuck it all. I'm not going to do anything because, you <laughs> yeah. know, there's there's too much and it's bullshit. Right. Yeah. Well, they're not they're just not in touch with that reality. Mm-hmm. So the other side of it is like what would like one of the things I say in my enrollment calls is I, I ask them. How many hours a day are you losing to distraction, overwhelm and fatigue? Mm-hmm. And even in high performing entrepreneurs, it's like two to three hours. Yeah when they add it all up. Yeah. And then I say, "Okay, what is your what is an hour of your time worth? How do you bill people?" Right. And then we just do a little math and they're like, "Holy shit. I'm losing 10, 15, 20,000 a month." Uh-huh. "I'm losing 50, 60, 70,000 a year." Right. And then, "Okay, it's, so that's great. That's money. A lot of people get that." Right. And then but then like so back to your question, if you were to incorporate some tonic herbs, if you were to learn some breathing practices, if you were to do tai chi, if you were to have a, a more healed heart around trauma and feel more comfortable in your own skin, mm-hmm. what what would be possible in your life? And, and a that, damn that, good that, question. That's the way I think. That's the ins, that's the way to inspire people into and you know from from a deeper perspective. I believe when people are living their life at that above just surviving yeah that's when the world's problems start to get solved yeah
0: i agree man yeah hence why i asked the question and it sort of as you were talking it sort of brings me to my kind of this this last thread i want to touch on you touch on with you is that you know you've tossed around the word virtue for for many years and talking about um in in very positive context the, the virtue of people being virtuous in their dealings and is there a way you conceptualize? Because I think with, I'm curious about this because you're working with entrepreneurs, you're working with large scale businesses in that regard. And what we see in modern times right now is there's a lot of dishonesty amongst politicians in, uh, you know, policy, media, there's so much what you would call non-virtue. And Nowadays, people are starting, I mean, there's definitely, it's always been there, right? People always appreciate integrity and whatnot. But it seems like the currency for that is so much more, there's so much more at stake nowadays for people to be um, clear in their communication, upfront and transparent about business practices, about their personal proclivities in business, you know, knowing who who to hire out, not to screw someone over. What, I know it's valuable, but I want to hear what value do you think it, really has nowadays in relation to what you're seeing in the world just this basically integrity of character and and, right. and kind of guiding people towards right. more virtuous emotions
1: yeah so i i had a, a um i had a session with this guy jim house around the book and the concepts of the book i had these two vip days it was really potent and powerful and one of the ideas that he teased out of me that i was going to go in the book in the book is the difference between what so Virtue, from my understanding of studying Chinese language and Taoism and talking to teacher Yang Mm -hmm. and other Taoist teachers, is that Chinese word for virtue brings to light the distinction between morality and hygiene. Ooh. Morality and hygiene. And I'll break it down for you. So like morality is like, don't masturbate because God will punish you. Right. Don't do this because it's bad. Mm Mm-hmm. There's no explanation. There's no logic. It's just a rule that you follow because if you don't follow it, you will be judged. And punished, right? And punished. Hygiene is the, is like if we, if we take the same concept, we go to hygiene is like if you masturbate chronically, you will deplete your neurotransmitters and you will be less happy, less functional, less compassionate, less patient. Mm-hmm. Hygienically, it doesn't make sense to, to spend, overspend your sexual vitality. Right, okay, from morality i could I could say it's wrong to eat bad foods, uh-huh. but hygiene is going to say eventually if you eat trans fats, your brain is going to be full of this inferior fat layer that's inflamed, you're going to have dementia, you're going to have more likely to have a stroke, right? So to eat trans fats, it's not a moral problem, it's a hygienic problem, yeah. So virtue, from my understanding, is hygienic in, in Taoist understanding. Mm-hmm. So to answer directly your question, if, if I build a company on lies, on false marketing, on mistreating my employees, yeah. it will come crashing down. Yes, and it does. And, and even if it doesn't. My marriage and my stress level from not telling the truth and from having to lie, there'll be nowhere in my life that I can authentically be myself. So even if my business is good for ten years, I'm going to suffer yeah. on a neuro neurotransmitter basis, yeah, so for me in 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 the teaching of the six gates of the pathway of power, they're all hygienic. They're all about the the result, mm-hmm. the cost of not listening is going to end up leading to our, our suffering or our loss of result in the world. Yeah. So for me, virtue is about hygiene.
0: I like that distinction. That's a that's a great distinction because I think that's, that's a big one, man. That morality piece, as you were talking about it, that's the Judeo-Christian, I'm being judged, so fuck everything and I'm not going to deal with anything because I don't want someone looking at me and judging me. And that's about where it begins and ends and people are resentful and push back to things that could potentially be... "Quote unquote good in their life, and if it's hygienic, like you're saying, that's that's a much more positive filter in terms of here's what you're losing, here's what's what will go away, and what and and I think it also opens up what's possible, what's what could be happening here. But I think that's that's a question I ask myself for my own personal development, and then I ask um, I'm asking you know to people that are in businesses too. I'm always amazed at how fraudulent and how criminal, some of these things can happen in the world. And they do fall apart eventually. And um, getting people to realize, I guess, that you know, integrity of character <laughs> is a very valuable currency. It's real. It's important. And I'm just glad that you're doing that kind of work. I'm glad that you're getting uh, people exposed to Chinese medicine, to the concepts of peak performance, to help adapt to stress. Because I know your end goal is ultimately just to make the world a better place just just get people in a more optimal state so they can be delivering their gifts because we all have them you know we yeah. just we just need help and usually we need some help in delivering them
1: <laughs> right and and I think like I don't know if it's the same for you but when I really boil down to my deepest deepest purpose and knowing on this planet is that I I love the earth mm. I love the redwood trees and the rivers and the mountains and the animals and I, my soul's contract I feel like if I were to know what it was mm-hmm. is to help the earth make it through the 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 you know the adolescence of humanity. Yeah. Well said. Because because for me I'm just if I have control over my reincarnation when this planet is there's no trees and we're all living in bases and domes with cybernetic implants which we are headed there I... one way or another that's partially right. going to exist. Yep. I'm, I'm not coming back here then. Yeah. When there's no more trees and there's no more animals and there's no more lakes and grass, then I'm done with this planet. Yeah. And so my deepest desire is to and, – and so if I can just permit me to yeah. have this little yeah. existential exploration. If I yeah. go one step forward. Please. I believe that the Taoist – the, the early Chinese scientists, the shamans, that these solutions to humanity's biggest problems are already existing in those texts and those approaches. And if they're used to guide science and research and technology, that we will develop it in a way that we actually survive and we use our technology to undo some of the damage. Yeah. You know, and, and so the example that I always give is that just like, for example, we have this realization that the a major problem is stress and that stress comes from the hyperactivity of our sympathetic nervous system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh my God, we need a way to balance the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. Guess what? The Taoists have a breathing technique for that. They have an entire form of thing called Tai Chi and Qigong. What <laughs> yeah. does it do? It balances the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. Yep. Now they're going to figure out additional qualities of the human body. Mm hmm. And then they're going to go to a drug or a surgery and I'm going to be over here and I'm going to say, guess what? There's a technique that's already exists that modulates that naturally. Yeah. And then I'm going to be able to go in. to so all the practices and I'm going to be able to experiment. I'm going to be able to bring that forward to people that don't want to do the drugs, the surgery or the implants. Yeah. So I feel like my faith is to keep the Taoist a al- lot, the Taoist arts alive, the life skills mm-hmm. so that as i get into a position of greater influence that i can guide politics, medicine, science in whatever way that god puts me in that position to do so. Yeah. So that yeah. that's like my deepest truth around my purpose in life.
0: Oh, it's i love it, man. And and i it's a i mean it's a beautiful it's a beautiful sentiment too. Like, I think i i i agree with you. I the technological era where we're going the way boy, the state of the planet, there's lots of things to be, that you're pointing to that I think are just on point in terms of how we're navigating and moving forward. And I'm the same way. I think you you and I have had this conversation in the past where it's, you know, this go-round, you know, I don't want a VR set attached to my head as a way to interface with reality. I'm not saying I wouldn't ever use one. Like that's, I'm not, you know, phobic and unrealistic, but I don't want it to be like, God, I just, Uh. I would never, I thought, you know, like, we're all trying to replicate what we already have. You guys are all trying to replicate virtual reality. I'm like, this reality is as virtual as it gets. <laughs> the, the graphics are on point, you know? It's, yep. Yep. it's really nice here um, if we allow it to be and we just have to, you know, keep working towards creating something good. But man, Kai, is there anything else, man, you wanna parting words that you would like to uh, give to the audience in terms of things we've touched on or anything in particular?
1: Yeah, I'll just end with some gratitude. Like the thing one of the things I'm most grateful for right now is the primal resurgence that's happening as a counterpoint to the technological development. Like uh this year for the first time at the Paleo FX mm-hmm. conference, mm-hmm. they there's a conversation around the fact that part of paleo culture was psychedelics. Oh wow. And that there's this need to go back into these primal experiences just like we know that the, the primal diet with no, no added, right. uh, has massive benefits. We know that intermittent fasting has all these benefits. We're going back to a more natural technology to stimulate our evolution from the inside out. Yeah, And so I Thank would God. just say, for those of you listening to this, find a time every week at least, if not every day, to find your primal nature, to be barefoot in the grass, to breathe deep, to get in some cold water, just jump in and jump out. Cold showers, like throw a kettlebell around, swing a mace, yeah, wrestle with somebody. Because you you will be you will your body and your emotions and your evolutionary capacity will be turned on by that contact with nature in a way that will prevent illness, will increase your capacity. So I'll just say, Graham, looking forward to seeing you sometime soon and yes. uh, getting 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 primal together. And I I. <laughs> I'm so proud of you for this uh, podcast. Thanks, Ben. And when I look at your life and and knowing some of the things you've had to overcome and some of the doors that have been put up, the stop signs, I think about how it's directed you to to study with Lillian and to do Mm -hmm. this kind of lifestyle medicine. And I think that maybe you already know or see that it's a gift.
0: Yeah, it's taken me a while.
1: But yeah. but yeah,
0: I appreciate that, man. Cause it's good for me to hear. Cause it did, it took me some years to to get it and I'm still getting it, but I appreciate that. Thank you, man. And the feeling, yeah. the feeling is mutual, man. I, I love you. And I'm, I'm proud of what you're doing. The, the stuff that you're putting out and the content and the people that you're reaching is nothing but good stuff is going to come from it. And it already is. I can see it happening. It's unfolding. So Kai, the last piece with this then is just um, how can people track you, follow you, social media? Um, you know, how do you get your, your stuff out? Where can people find you?
1: Sure. So my uh, my my personal Facebook page is Kai Van Bodhi. Facebook, you know, forward slash Kai Van Bodhi, V-A-N-B-O-D-H-I. I have weekly uh lives on there. I'm you know doing one tonight on the power of four, how to align ourselves with the you know, the forces of nature and the higher cycles. My website is pathwayofpower.com. There's a, a quiz on there about figuring out where you leak the most energy and what you can do to seal it up. Beautiful. And, and then the last piece I'll just say is like my current ask is like I'm working with men right now uh, around turning their our addictive nature and our mask that we wear, which is usually masturbation, alcohol, sugar, caffeine, and cannabis. I'm I want to support. I am supporting powerful men who have a really big purpose, and yet they know that they're they're escaping, they're numbing, and that it's 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 jeopardizing. Their larger mission Mm -hmm. I have a system of breath work and practices to get unplugged from porn and masturbation to turn that into more vitality more strength more performance and to just turn that addiction into a greater degree of primal power so if you're hearing this and that's your man or that's someone you know or it's you just reach out directly and I will give you like a 90 minute call where we'll look at your vision We'll look at what's in the way. And if we're fit to work together, we'll explore that. Otherwise, I'll give you a couple things you can start right away to get you out back on track.
0: Beautiful, Kai. I love it, man. Well, thank you, Kai, for the time, for being here. Um, it's always
1: always fun talking to you. <laughs> we need to do it more. <laughs> we need another man movie night here soon. So, Totally, totally, bro. And late down the line, I, when we're in person together, I'd really like to do an extended uh, kombucha beer format and let it see how, see where the, the cosmos takes us. I will
0: take you up on that for sure.
1: can be a bonus one. (laughs) Sounds
0: good. All All right. right. Art amigo. Thanks a lot, man.
1: Yep. Later bro.